Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. Cloudy skies with rain in some areas of the city. Welcome to this Monday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. And speaking of the weather, we'll begin with the weather. Residents in coastal Georgia will likely see flooding and severe thunderstorms today as tropical storm Isaias makes its way up the east coast. In a release from earlier today, forecasters noted the storm is expected to pass well east of the Georgia coast before reaching hurricane strength and making landfall. Now, Rebecca Davison is a meteorologist with the Charleston Division of the National the service, which serves coastal Georgia. Overall this afternoon, coastal Georgia can expect rain as well as some stronger wind gusts. Overall, the impacts are looking to be a bit north of coastal Georgia, though, with most impacts in South Carolina. Overall, though, um, tropical storm wind gusts, it is expected to make landfall as a hurricane at this time, just north of the area. And just for clarity, forecasters say Isaias is expected to make landfall later this evening north of the Charleston area. Now on to pandemic-related news. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp signed two executive orders extending previous efforts by the state to fight COVID-19. He did this last Friday. In one order, the governor extended Georgia's public health emergency. The state of emergency now runs through September 10th, just before midnight. The governor also extended another executive order calling for social distancing and requiring long-term care residents and the medically fragile to, again, remain sheltered in place. That order now runs through 11.59 p.m. on August 15th. And state officials are opening a 120-bed coronavirus pop-up hospital here in Atlanta at the Georgia World Congress Center. Governor Kemp says the facility at the World Congress Center will open with 60 beds with the ability to double in size if needed. This is the second time the center has been turned into a pop-up facility. This comes as Georgia's averaging more than 3,000 reported new coronavirus cases a day. Speaking of today, the State Department of Public Health reports there are 193,177 confirmed COVID-19 cases. 3,840 deaths have been reported. 19,064 are hospitalized. And of those, 3,496 are ICU admissions. This is all according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And finally, summer break is officially over for Cherokee County students. Parents in that district can choose between virtual or in-class learning for their children. Marietta City Schools reopen with virtual learning only tomorrow. And most other metro Atlanta counties, including Cobb, Fulton, and DeKalb, are, for now, beginning the year virtually with an August 17th back-to-school date. Now, coming up on tomorrow's program, Atlanta Public Schools Superintendent Dr. Lisa Herring joins me about plans for the district. This is Closer Look. (music) 
Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. It's a question of this moment in our nation, but it certainly isn't a new one. And it's this. What do predominantly black communities need in order to change decades of systemic issues that plague their neighborhoods? Here on this program, we've been focusing on specific neighborhoods where the police shooting death of Rayshard Brooks and the killing of eight-year-old Sequoia Turner took place. Now, both incidents happened near University Avenue, which is located at the intersection of several South Atlanta neighborhoods. And shortly after Brooks' shooting death, I spoke with residents of Neighborhood Planning Unit V, which includes the neighborhoods of Peoplestown, Mechanicsville, Summerhill, Pittsburgh, Adair Park, and Capitol Gateway. And residents from this neighborhood, they, they came together to create a list of demands to, quote, divest in policing and reinvest in communities. MPUV actually has a gun-related violence problem. So this incident is isolated because it was police involved, but it is not that isolated because we do experience a high amount of gun-related violence. Now, that was NPUV community member Demisha Luster. And after that conversation, I spoke with Atlanta City Council member Joy Shepard, who represents District 12. I am working with this community. One thing has happened as a result of what's happening on University Avenue in this particular area of the community is we now have a coalition of folks and we're actually sitting and talking together continuously to talk about the pros and cons of everything from the, the list they have, which is public safety driven and economic driven to everything. So as I said earlier, we are now beginning to work together as a community to galvanize around this. And as opposed to it happen, happening without any input from the community, organizing the way where there's actually viable input from the community in terms of what's happened. I have done that in several other parts of my district in terms of redevelopment plans and looking at what happens in all these communities. And I am doing the same thing for University Avenue, looking at a redevelopment plan for University Avenue and making sure that the people in the community are at the table with that redevelopment plan. So now Closer Look begins a new series. We're asking community leaders, neighborhood associations, and planning units to talk about their district representation on Atlanta City Council. Today, it's Jay Lawrence Miller, president of the Adair Park Today Association, Janae Shepard, community activist also in Adair Park, and Christy Peters, also a community activist in the Capitol View neighborhood. Thank you all for taking the time. Appreciate you inviting us. Thank you. Janae, let me start with you because you were part of our conversations when we did our transit series and we talked about the Beltline and we talked about all these other initiatives uh, that were happening around your neighborhood. So I'm going to start with you. For our listeners that may not be aware, tell me about your neighborhood. How would you describe your neighborhood to someone? My neighborhood is Adair Park and we are for the lack of a better expression, um, I guess our council member will call us more one of her heaviest gentrified neighborhoods. Um, we do have a, a very high influx of Caucasian people, um, but we're a small neighborhood at the same time. We are have been able to reach across our neighborhood and actually like envelope everyone and make sure that everyone is always taken care of. Um, we've been able to start conversations on so many different levels. I'm not, not so much as development because development is actually just starting to happen around us now. Mm -hmm. Um, but really being able to connect with our seniors and, um, connect with each other as a whole and, and anchor each other down. So 
Um, that's what I, I feel a dare park is. So a close knit community. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Jay Lawrence Miller, what about you? Tell me about your neighborhood. Well, it's a dare park. Um, it is close knit. We've got about 450 houses here, so not a very large neighborhood. But what we do have is a sense of community. A neighborhood is a geographic location with set boundaries. Community is what the people in the neighborhood make. We are a group that can post on our neighborhood Facebook page that we need a cup of coffee or a cup of sugar. And somebody will offer you a five pound bag of sugar. It's that good. It's that close knit of a neighborhood. Despite being what is negatively considered gentrified, we're a neighborhood where everyone seems to look out for each other. Christy, tell me about the neighborhood. Well, I am a resident of Capitol View, which mm-hmm. is a sister neighborhood to Adair Park. Mm-hmm. Um, I would just echo what Janae and Lawrence have said is that our community also is a gentrifying neighborhood, but we are also a very close knit neighborhood. I think that one thing that we constantly try to reinforce is that we are family, whether we like it or not. And so if something happens to me, it happens to you. And it really informs the way that we interact with each other. We have the same type of um, familial feeling that Adair Park has. If you want, if you need something, someone's going to come and assist you. And that has been why I have loved this community um, more than any other place I've lived in Atlanta. And I've been here for 25 years now. This is the most at home I have felt since living here from moving here from Jersey. So I think that's a common feeling in Southwest Atlanta. Let me stay with you for a minute then, Christy. Coming into the segment, I played that clip by Demisha Luster who talked about gun violence. Um, Would you say there's the, how would you assess the crime around your neighborhood? I would say the majority of crime in the neighborhood usually is car break-ins, occasionally a house break-in. I haven't really seen um, a whole lot of violence per se. We do hear gunshots occasionally, that happens. But as far as the consistent crime, it's usually like petty theft. Mm -hmm. You know, someone stealing out of an unlocked car, they don't even break into the car. It's usually someone just left their car open. Or occasionally teenagers may break into a home Mm -hmm. and rob that house but it's not um i don't think it approaches the level that you often hear Mm -hmm. um, around other parts of the city when they think of southwest atlanta janae what about you how would you assess the the level of crime activity in your neighborhood in adair park yeah i I, I can probably piggyback off of what christy said we have a lot of petty theft um car break-ins we do hear gunshots um I think in the past, when I first moved here, I think it was a little, the the gun use was a little heavier. Mm-hmm. I do agree with that. Um, but in the past couple of years, yeah, I would say that it's not as much as gun violence as it was about maybe five years ago. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood's Something changing. Like mm-hmm. Oh yeah, it, it is definitely changing. Mm-hmm. Jay Lawrence, what about you? How would you assess the violence or criminal activity in the neighborhood? Well, as Janae said, we haven't had any gun violence at all in the last, well, I've been here eight years. um, And I don't know of a single example of gun violence in in Adair Park itself. There have been some crimes that have committed a lot of property, I shouldn't say even a lot, but property crimes, um, breaking in cars, houses being broken into, some trespassing. uh, But that's about it. What we saw happen over by the Wendy's and other neighborhoods in Southwest Atlanta isn't something that's normal for here. Mm 
Mm-hmm. Jay Lawrence, let me stick with you. What concerns do you have about your neighborhood? You told us it's tight knit, but you do have some concerns. What are they? That's a great segue into the piece. Uh, we are a small neighborhood with not a lot of development opportunities here, but what development opportunities are coming in, we would like to have a relationship with our city council person. And that's a problem because she is unresponsive to us. In a six months that I've been president, I've gotten three phone calls, maybe four phone calls, um, emails that I get. She's told me that she doesn't respond to social media. She doesn't respond to email. She doesn't respond to stuff like that because that's not the way she does business. She does business face to face. The unfortunate reality is that that type of business doesn't work when you're looking at creating development opportunities for a neighborhood. Your city council member is council member Joyce Shepard, correct? That's correct. So are you saying that in six months you have been president of your association, president of Adair Park today, you have not been able to have a conversation with her about your concerns? Is, is that what you're saying? I'm saying that exactly, and I'll be very specific. In the piece that you played at the beginning of this, she talked about getting with community members and talking to community members. And at one point in the interview, she also said that she spoke to community leaders. Well, I think I'm a community leader. I'm the president of the organization, and I haven't heard from her. During the what was going on over at the Wendy's the day after, the, I think it was June 14th, she went out there and she gave me a call and asked me if I could get a Dare Park members to go out. Dare Park uh, neighbors were already out there, but she asked if we can get a Dare Park uh, neighbors to go out. That's the only time that I've heard with, from her mm-hmm. directly about this, about what happened over there and about how we can be engaged and involved. Everything else has come from NPUB. We should note there are two other city council members that they all kind of intersect uh, with these neighborhoods. There's council member Cleta Winslow and council member Carla Smith. Janae, is that challenging for you all sometimes because you're sharing council member with other neighborhoods? Do you feel like that maybe that could be a reason as to the challenges you all are having with trying to be heard and get and get your list of concerns to the, to the city council? Janae? Well, well, let me first say that these lines will be changing, so we don't really know what's going to happen mm-hmm. next year. But I don't think that that's a reason to neglect or negate a conversation. Right now, we're in COVID-19, mm-hmm. and to say that you only do face-to-face type of conversations, I mean, that's why we have Zoom. I mean, at this point in time, there's no way to do things like that business as usual has to change. It can't, we're in a different environment right now. I mean, you find a way to connect with those you need to connect with. Have you had a conversation with council member Shepard at all within the last few months? I I was running for house state. So no, I can't even say that I have. Gotcha. Gotcha on that. Mm -hmm. Krista, you said you've been in the community for 20 some years. How would you assess, how would you assess the communication lines with your city council member? Well, um, I, just to clarify, I've been in Atlanta for 20 some years. I've been in Southwest Atlanta in Capitol View specifically for the past five years. Okay. And um, I was the president for the past three years of our neighborhood association, Capitol View. So I interacted with our council member quite often. Um, and, and I stepped down in December just because I had a lot on my plate. And so mm-hmm. I haven't been as um, involved with her in the past maybe six, seven months. Mm -hmm. But during my time serving, um, we had interaction on a regular basis, but I don't, it wasn't ever interaction 
to the level that I think residents wanted to see. We were always pursuing her. And even when you pursued her, it was always very um, surface level responses. Again, just as Lawrence and Janae have indicated, she's very much um, a person that does not like to respond on social media, but this is 2020 and a lot of people have those expectations of you. So although I understand you can't respond to everything on social media, you have the business of the city at hand, you still need to make um, some accommodations that there will be residents that you're responsible for and to that will use that as a way for to reaching out to you. And when they don't see you respond, it makes them feel like you are non-responsive period. And we have had other um, times when we've called and emailed and haven't received responses. So that, that communication could definitely be better. Um, I don't think that, <sighs> I, I'm just going to say what I what I say. I think that in the past, our council member has divided our community somewhat. And uh, when I say our communities, I mean Capitol View versus Adair Park versus Pittsburgh versus that's not how a community works. We have commonalities. We have common interests. And you can't divide your constituents that way. That's not how all boats you know, rise together. We need to have a council member who understands that the people want to have commonality. We want connection, and that has been missing previously. So, so Christy, when you say you feel like Council Member Shepard has divided <clears throat> the communities, I mean, I know folks listening are saying, give us some examples. What do you mean by that? How do you support that Ooh. claim? <laughs> Well, I will say in the past, in my past interactions with her, you know, she'll say, well, the people over there in the Dare Park feel this way about you guys. They think you guys are aloof. They think you guys, you know, don't care about their problems over there. They think you guys are in your own little um, bubble over here, so to speak. And I'm paraphrasing, but that's mm -hmm. the general feeling of it all is that, you know, it just makes people uncomfortable neighborhood versus neighborhood. And that is not what should happen. You know, when Janae and I were presidents, along with some other presidents in our community, we formed the um, Metropolitan Corridor Co Coalition. You remember that, Janae? With the intention of demonstrating to our council member mm -hmm. that we are talking to each other. Right. We are of one accord. What affects one affects us all. And there will be no taking this message here to Adair Park mm -hmm. and then coming with a different message to Capitol View. And it, and I could tell that she was not, you know, such an enthusiastic fan of that, but it helped us to make yeah. some progress, I think. I think we made a lot of progress during that time when we were active. Janae, what do you want from, other than better lines of communication from Councilmember Shepard through your lens, your concerns, basically? I think that communication, first of all, is the end all be all. I mean, because if you don't have that, you're missing a complete link and that link is disconnected. So now we're disconnected as a community, as a dare park, as Pittsburgh, as Capitol View, we're disconnected. And it's making it seem like one particular neighborhood is, has all these issues. No, we're a family. Even outside of a dare park, we're a family. You know, as an MPUV, we are we all come in together. You know, Jay Lawrence, the last time Closer Look was over in the, the Adair Park neighborhood. It was a beautiful morning. We walked the Beltline. Residents like Janae uh, talked about some of the concerns they had in terms of, you know, what's going to happen when the Beltline really starts popping, as they say. And you talked about Councilmember Shepard using the word gentrification. Development is coming there at some point. We don't know when because now with COVID, who knows? What would you need to see through your lens for the community? I need a council member to be honest. 
let, let me be very blunt. I need her to be honest with us. I need her to be, communication is important, but the type of communication is equally important. We are going to have development over here. That means zoning issues are going to come up, and I don't want to find out that our commercial areas, our industrial areas have been rezoned without adhering it through the grapevine rather than it's coming up on zoning review board schedule. This is critically important for where we are. I would like her for, I, I would very much like for her to be straight up and honest with us about the, we pushed for the Richard Brooks bill and she said that she didn't get any support for it. She got minimal support for it. When I know for a fact that there were over a hundred emails and many, many, many calls. She heard from who she wanted to hear from and she didn't hear from the rest of us because we didn't fit within the that very small sphere that she decided was important to her. As a politician, I expect that she would be she wouldn't be as honest as she would be, but I wouldn't expect for, and I'll say it, blatant, flat-out lies. I would not expect that. I didn't expect that she would attack um, Antonio Brown with a lie. I've spoken to all of my community leaders, and they said that they didn't support this. That's not what happened because she didn't even speak to all of us. I expect that um, as we're re as the city is reimagining the police department, that she would include us in some of the boards and some of the task force that are being created, but we don't even get an invitation to sit at the table. And in many instances, the difference between many blacks and many whites is access. Mm -hmm. When we don't have access and we don't even have the word that these things are happening until after they've already happened, that takes away from the sense of power that we should have, we could have. And as a civil rights leader from the 60s and the 70s that she was, we expected her to understand that reimagining policing is important and to share that with us. We are the ones on the ground. We are, you can't get more grassroots in the neighborhood president than the neighborhoods themselves. Mm -hmm. As Christy said, you know, you can't divide us. We're talking to each other. We know what's going on because we're talking to each other, but we need to have that official line of communication, not just open, but to remain open. And even if we don't agree with her, uh, she doesn't agree with us, to be on the same track, to be on the same path so that we can look out for what's best for all of the community members in all of our neighborhoods. If you're just joining Closer Look, I'm joined by community leaders, neighborhood association leaders, as we began talking about district representation on Atlanta City Council. I'm joined by Jay Lawrence Miller. He's president of Adair Park today. Janae Shepard, a community activist also in Adair Park, and Christy Peters, a community activist in the Capitol View neighborhood. When we talk about redistricting, which, and depending on whom you ask, you'll get a different answer. But Jay Lawrence, I'll start with you. If the lines are going to be redrawn again, what concerns do you have moving forward with your community? It has to actually has to do less with how the lines are, are drawn than with who's going to be the city council member. I don't intend to run, but I will support anyone else. And I mean financially support anyone else who runs because we need to have the, the quality that the politicians can give us. We need to have the quality feedback. Again, we go back to this communications piece. I don't, it doesn't matter to me how the lines are drawn. It matters to me more who's going to be the person that's going to take over and be the city council member that's going to represent their part and not think of us as the redheaded stepchild. Christy, same question to you. Is it time for a new representation for Capitol View at Definitely. the city council level? 
Definitely. Um, there is definitely, it's definitely time for new representation. I am a firm believer, period, in term limits. So that might not be the best question for me <laughs> because I don't think people should serve indefinitely. There, You came in, I'm sure Councilmember Shepard came in with a fiery passion and an energy. I know she was very active as a community leader before she became a council member. She was the chair of our MPU. And that's another issue too I want to address that Adair Park is MPUV. Capital View is MPUX. Mm -hmm. We are literally like a Across the street from each other. Mm -hmm. So that becomes a problem when you have a council member who's representing both of those factions because we have our meetings on the same evening. And so a lot of times there were things in our community that we needed to address urgently. And then we would be told, oh, I, I was at the other MPU meeting, which I understand you can't be in two places at one time. But then again, lies a way of innovative thinking, like why there might be a need for new blood, because maybe you hire an intern, maybe you have a really able-bodied and um, able-minded assistant who can be there to hear both of your um, communities. Mm -hmm. But without that, it feels like one is being neglected all the time. And so I hope with the new boundaries that that is addressed. But also, I think that it's time for new leadership because as many politicians do, they forget that you're, you're there to serve the people. This is not your personal platform. You are just a voice to give voice to us in front of the city. And I think that unfortunately, sometimes our council member forgets that. You know, I've, I've, she's personally said to me and to our community in a meeting, you know, I told this developer what you guys want because I know what you guys want. And there was such a ruckus in the room because you can't say that. You didn't speak to us. We didn't even know this was happening. So how are you com communicating our concerns or even our, our support without speaking directly to us first, informing us of what's going on with this project and then taking that back to that person, that entity? You are only here to serve. And I think that's across the board, you know, not just with our personal council member, but local leadership, national leadership. We need to, we the people need to remind them that you serve the people. Let me ask you this uh, before I move to Janae also, Christy, because someone listening says, well, the city council also as a unit, they are going to vote on legislation. They are also going to make decisions as it relates to the entire, the entire city, the city of Atlanta. So what's your response to someone who says, can you understand that, for Councilmember Joyce Shepard, all the city council members may be dealing with this. Yeah, I mean, I don't have the expectation of you being everywhere all the time, but I do think there are things you should do to be getting the pulse of your community. There should be more outreach events. You should mm -hmm. you should be proactive and touching base. We have a very um, a very active new president in our community. He has barely heard from you. You should be, you have, it takes a few minutes of your time. When we were president, I know that we touch base with our people all the time. We were just neighborhood presidents. Mm -hmm. We were asking people constantly if, if it was through Facebook, if it was through calling a meeting at our, our local library, what do you want us to say to our representatives on your behalf? If you can't attend a meeting, because everybody can't, mm -hmm. some, you know, city council meetings are in the middle of the day in the, in the middle of a work week. And we would ask them specifically, if you can't attend, please get your questions to the board so that one of us can go there with your concerns and address it on your behalf. She could do, or any council member could do the same thing. Reach out to your constituents from time to time. Reach out to the leadership in those communities. Ask them what's happening in your communities. What are you hearing on the street? Because that to me is what a concerned leader does. A person who's like, I may not be out there all the time, but I'm gonna touch base with you at least once a month and ask you, is there anything new that I may have been missing? Do you think I am serving your needs appropriately? 
I, I feel like a person in leadership be, should be doing that. You know, I know that we expressed multiple times. I personally have an issue with policing in our community mm -hmm. where police come from outside of our community. They don't live here. And I think that's a problem nationwide is when you have people policing communities where they do not live. We express that multiple times. I've never heard her address that, you know, and it's a huge concern for us. And so, again, I just think that anyone who has the honor and has been anointed to be leadership should be proactive. The people can't chase you. You should be chasing the people. Hmm. Janae, what about you? If the boundaries are going to be redrawn, what concerns do you have? So I kind of want to touch on everything that was just said. Um, I too believe in, in term limits. I think it was Demisha who mentioned something about how all we have three different city council within one particular MPUV. Mm -hmm. So it does make it hard for out in that respect for maybe to connect everyone and also to adhere to everyone. But I think that what's gonna be important for the next city council representative is transparency. Because if you are going to particularly vote in a favor that's not gonna be popular to the mass, then you should be willing to stand by that decision and tell the why that decision was made. I hope to see that when these redistricting happens, that it'll be more, it'll connect us more and not so be so gerrymandered and not so to the point where now we we're lumped into Midtown. Good Lord. I want to end by asking you all to reflect on this. And that is with the way Atlanta's changing and developments coming in. We have a segment coming up in a couple of weeks on the Grove Park neighborhood. We all know what's happening over there. Obviously, with the west side of Atlanta, Bankhead, uh, how do you see your neighborhood? And Janae, I think I asked you this last time we spoke. How do you see your neighborhood in, let's say, two years? What about the economic and, and demographics of the of the neighborhood? Property taxes, do you think some yeah. of your legacy residents will be able to stay? Because if new development comes on, we all know that sometimes that can spur an increase in property taxes. I think that our legacy residents will be right here. Mm -hmm. I think that we have built such, uh, for our particular community, um, you know, our neighborhood, thanks to Lawrence taking over the reins, um, that we they continue to build relationships. And we they're already coming up with a plan to make sure that if you need something financially, we are going to be the ones to help you step in and make sure that you're able to to live play and stay and grow old and walk the um, neighborhood and ask for that cup of sugar and get that five pound bag when you need it. Mm -hmm. Jay Lawrence, what about you? How do you see your neighborhood in, let's say, two years? But So we have got um, two things that, are, that I most want to touch on about that. Murphy Avenue um, here in the Dare Park is a Dare Park. It's not Murphy Crossing, which is Oakland City. If we can ensure that our city council member work actually works with us, then the development that will happen, happen along there will benefit the neighbors in the Dare Park. That's primary. And part of the reason why I ran for president is to ensure that the zoning piece happened in a way that was long-term. The other piece is that what Janae just said and what you asked about. We're creating a crowdfunding um, source so that our legacy residents will have the help that they need. We know property taxes are gonna go up. So three years ago, four years ago, we set up a system so that we can ensure that our all the residents here who own their homes were able were eligible for um, 
were able to get the, their um, um, homestead exemption. And we actively worked with them about that. Um, and other neighborhoods have since taken that on as a task for themselves. Um, we work with um, raising money for renters if their rent has gone up and they're, they're a month behind. If you're three or four months behind, that's one thing. There's not a lot we can do. We've ensured since March that um, there isn't a single family in a dare park who's going without food. That is a commitment that myself and the board has made that if you need food, we're going to ensure that you get fresh groceries, uh, 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 gift cards and so on and so forth. In the next two years, it's going to be about uh, about those bonds becoming stronger, mm -hmm. ensuring that the community organization is literally there to help fill in some of the blanks when the taxes go up, when the utility bills go up, because our public utilities commission doesn't care about us, um, and so those bills are going to go up. That's the primarily work with our city council member in order to see that zoning is right, and work with our neighbors to ensure that they that they remain safe and that they have the financial wherewithal to be able to stay. And Christy, I'll give you the last word. How do you see Capitol View in the next couple of years? You know, it's very hard, difficult to say what the economic landscape will be due mm -hmm. to COVID-19. But if we rebound as a nation and it moves forward, we will have development here. And I think what you'll see is our residents are very knowledgeable, very informed. We have a lot of people here who have expertise in the legal field and urban planning and so forth and so on. And so what we have done in the past as a neighborhood association is reached out to residents, hey, we need your expertise in this area. Like Lauren said, we did a homestead um, exemption uh, outreach for our seniors and everyone else that was free. Mm -hmm. We used our resident attorneys. We drafted postcards and mailed them out so that people were aware that this is something you can pursue. There's all type of exemptions for seniors, for people in the military, what have you, but people don't know. And so that is what your your neighborhood association is for. If your neighborhood association is just, you view it as a place to get together and have drinks and coffee, mm -hmm. that is not serving you. It is there to communicate information to you and to be a touch tool between you and your city leadership. And so I see that becoming even stronger the neighborhoods are now more connected as far as leadership. Our new president, Ivor Williams, is doing an excellent job. I see him taking that on and um, running with it. I see us being very vocal in any upcoming development because what we're not going to do is have 20 more years of Southwest side being neglected and looking the way it has. Mm -hmm. um, to Lawrence's point, as far as zoning, we're very much on top of zoning. We have those conversations with our residents. We let them know how zoning impacts all the things that you want. When I came into leadership, I know that people were constantly screaming for, I want a new grocery store. I want restaurants. Well, those things follow density, but people don't understand that if they've never been in those circles so you have to go and educate people, you know, let them know. And that's where our city leadership also, I think, has failed us. Because when you come to the community and you hear your people crying out, it is your job to tell them the tools that exist. And if you won't do it, we will. And so for me and for Janae and Lawrence, I see our collective and respective neighborhoods growing stronger because it's going to be my duty in life, my mission to remind people that these government is not something other. It is we the people. Christy Peters, local community activist, also heard from Janae Shepard, local community activist, and Jay Lawrence Miller, president of Adair Park today. And Christy represents the Capitol View neighborhood. Thank you all for taking the time. I really appreciate you taking the time to address your concerns. We'll stay Thank, you Thank you very much for inviting us. Thank you for allowing us to have a voice.
Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. Closer Look continues now. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in just a moment, a conversation with Atlanta Dream Point guard Renee Montgomery on why she's sitting out this season. It was probably one of the clearest decisions I've ever made in my life in a sense of I didn't feel that I was, I felt that I was completely doing the right thing for me. That's in a few moments. And later in the week, as eviction filings are increasing, we'll hear from analysts on what's potentially next after eviction moratoriums have all expired and when the courts reopen. I think we've definitely seen a lot of state and local governments um, try some innovative solutions um, in their attempts to stem this crisis. For example, we've seen state and local governments implement their own types of rental assistance programs. Um, you know, the problem is that the resources are few and far between. They only go so far, um, and often those programs have become oversubscribed really quickly. Um, as people uh, apply and take up those funds quickly. How optimistic are you that Congress will hammer something out, number one? Number two, that hopefully this next package, this relief package, will include something that will help, if not renters, maybe landlords. Well, my colleagues have estimated that it would take about $16 billion every month to keep vulnerable renters housed during the pandemic and landlords in business. Um, This sounds like a lot of resources, but when you take a look at other actions Congress has made so far to, say, help out businesses at the tune of about $700 billion Mm -hmm. already, um, you know, this doesn't seem to be quite a large amount anymore. $16 billion a month. Yes. And the reason that they're not filing as much is because they know they can't carry the eviction through the courts. So the 6,000 that are kind of waiting to be processed as the courts reopen, uh, you know, they may reopen as early as November, but some folks actually are going to see them open earlier, depending on the mechanics. That number pales in comparison to the real kind of pent-up eviction kind of stockpile because lots of landlords could have filed who didn't but as soon as they are we're getting closer to the time where they can file they will file in a flood and the courts can't handle that for one thing so I'm really worried about how they're going to handle that flood I worry about more rights of tenants being completely stripped Hmm. but what we really need is the federal government to step up and renew the expanded unemployment insurance because that's allowing some people to pay rent. And we need really a rent relief program at the federal level, both to pay the arrearage that folks have faced, the inability to pay rent, especially for folks who don't get unemployment insurance, which is significant. 
at-risk renters in a pandemic. That's this Thursday on Closer Look. We're back in a moment. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. The WNBA's 24th season will be like no other. 22 games will be played by each team, and the league is dedicating its 22-game season to social justice. Now, some familiar names will not be playing this season. That includes our own Atlanta Dream point guard, Renee Montgomery. Now, her absence is not medical-related. We'll find out why as Renee Montgomery joins the program. Renee, thanks for taking the time. Well, thank you for having me. You've been working on that jumper? <laughs> Listen, <laughs> you already let me know that you are not a fan of my Huskies being a Tennessee and Rutgers <laughs> fan. So I guess I should work on it for people that are not going to cheer for me like you, Rose. Now, that was all in love. But, you know, and I <laughs> loved watching you all play. Y'all just won so many championships. I was like, goodness. Goodness, goodness, yeah. goodness. Let's talk about the game for a moment because you're a baller. You're what we call a baller. So is it difficult to be away this season? You've been playing for such a long time. Is, it was a tough decision, and we'll get into why, but is it difficult to be away this season from the game? Absolutely. I mean, I've been playing basketball my whole life at a high level, so you know, my whole days have been surrounded by how can I get better as a player. So to just take that aspect out of your life, something that's been your whole life, oh, yeah, it was very difficult. And as you and I both know, there are other things, some would say even more important in basketball. And, Renee, I want to go back to what's been happening this year and back to, let's say, May, the end of May, when all of the nation first witnessed the the killing of George Floyd on video here. What went through your mind when you first saw that? Well, I never, I still haven't seen the full video, the eight minutes and 46 seconds, but I saw, you know, the videos that were going around the one minute ones. And I just couldn't believe what I was watching. You know, it was just like, you, you couldn't believe that this was actually happening. This is real life. Um, so I think that that realization that like this happened on camera <laughs> and and none of the other cops had a problem with it, that that realization I think is what what hit hard. And then from that, with the protests and obviously the protests here in Atlanta, can you sum up and just put in your own words, your own reflections of what this moment is like for you? Yeah, so this moment for, for me has honestly been beautiful. You know, I went down to the protest here in Atlanta and there were so many people helping each other. There were so many, I had the idea to, to, to bring waters because it's hot here in hot Atlanta. And there were three other cars that pulled up when I did with water. So what I saw was a lot of humanity happening. And for me, that was refreshing. You saw people caring about other people. People saying, oh no, that couple over there, that's the older couple, they need water. That was amazing to me to see. And even further now, the things that are happening. So for me, this is a beautiful moment. Speaking of beautiful moments, can you take our listeners through the moment you decided, you know what, I want to take this year off and dedicate it to something else? Yeah, so the moment I decided it was way before people knew, <laughs> you know, I kind of already had something pulling at my heartstrings that like I need to be somewhere else. And so I talked to my parents, you know, we're Christian people. I was raised in the pew. So they told me, uh, you know, take a second, pray about it, be still on it. So then I waited a while, um, called my head coach, told her. Uh, and then to there, you know, I press, I press send on the tweet. Uh, so I would just say, it was probably one of the clearest decisions I've ever made in my life in a sense of I didn't feel that I was, I felt that I was completely doing the right thing for me. 
In fact, in that tweet and part of it, you said, quote, social justice reform isn't going to happen overnight, but I do feel that now's the time and moments equal momentum. Let's keep it going. So how are you going to keep it going? Oh, man, I have so many things planned. Um, but the first thing I'm going to do is it's a voter registration campaign. Remember the 3rd of November. And it's not to tell you who to vote for, but it talks about things. What is the local official's jobs? What is the federal government official's jobs? Because I think people feel that they their vote doesn't matter because they don't see how it connects to their everyday life. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do a whole campaign on how it connects to your everyday life. Uh, we're going to do it through a 2D animation series and some some workshops, some virtual workshops. I um, mean, the second thing I'm going to do is called The Last Yard. And my mom was a college professor for 30 years at West Virginia State University. And one of the things she talked about a lot was how many students dropped out for amounts of just a hundred to a thousand dollars, just that last amount that they needed to cover their last expenses and bills. They just couldn't raise that money and they dropped out for that. So the last yard is about getting students that, that last push. We're going to start with two HBCUs because we think that that they need the most attention right now in this mm-hmm. climate. And it's going to be West Virginia state university as well as Morris Brown college. So, so that's, that's going to be two of the big things. And speaking of Morris Brown, we're here in Atlanta. I'm about to launch another initiative and it's to save Morris Brown. You know, they lost their accreditation 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, If people don't know, they're the only HBCU founded by a slave, such rich tradition in that school. So they, they did all the heavy lifting and they got their debt zeroed out. You know, that 3 million, they got their loan approved. And so they just have to get that last up and, ha- and have some funds in the bank. So I want to help them get there. So that's going to be what I'm doing this off season. And people asking Morris Brown is my championship. So that's that's what I'm focused on. You know, Renee, I know it's not lost on you that the history of activism and athletes, you can go back to Althea Gibson, Arthur Ashe, obviously Muhammad Ali, the 1968 Olympics more modern. You could talk about Venus and Serena, obviously Colin Kaepernick. What do you say to people who have said and expressed that, you know, professional athletes need to stick to their court or their field of performance and not get involved in social justice issues? Yeah, I would tell them that they just have to look at it from the athlete's perspective. You know, when I'm on the court, I am an athlete. I'm a WNBA athlete. I'm playing basketball at the highest level. So when I'm on the court, I have a certain privilege about myself because I'm this athlete. But what people don't understand is when we leave the court, when we leave the gym and we go our separate ways to our house where I'm just a black woman in America. And so people want us to separate the two, but we are both. So I can't separate the two. That, that is me. I'm a black woman that also is playing professional sports. Those are two completely different dynamics. And so People want to just split the two, but we're actually one person. So I would say to them, you know, I I can't split those two things. And a lot of other athletes can't split those two things because that's who we are. And on that note, your team ownership is Georgia Senator Kelly Loeffler, who was also co-owner of the Atlanta Dream, not in support of the league supporting social justice issues. She's made some comments about Black Lives Matter. Have you had a conversation with her, Renee? I have not. I haven't had a conversation with her. You know, I penned an open letter. And it was an open letter to her, but it was also just to anybody who, who else probably felt the same way. You know, I highlighted some things about, you know, in, in 1919, when there was the, the, the movement for women's suffrage, you know, in voting, mm-hmm. we would have been on the same team. It would have been, you know, we would have all been fighting for the same thing. Women need to vote as well. And as we know, it got passed in 1920, but I just like to put perspective on things because 
when an issue affects you, you think differently about it. When it doesn't affect you, you have different views. So I just wanted to kind of put in perspective my views. And finally, Renee, as we wrap up, you, you're going to take this year off. How optimistic are you that you will come back to the game? Because you're going to be doing this great work. And folks that do this work will tell you once you get in it, you know, you get addicted to it. And maybe that could yeah. be the other calling. Yeah, you know, people, the reason I opted out on June 18th, to put it in perspective, we didn't have to opt out until June 30th. I opted out June 18th is because I knew where my focus was. That was all I was thinking about. This Things that I was doing outside of basketball was all I was focused on. So for me to answer a question about next year is wild because I opted out early this year because mm -hmm. I didn't want to ask answer questions about this year. So um, it's, it's, it's too far to say, but uh, I, the plan is to return. Renee Montgomery, Atlanta Dream point guard, two-time WNBA champion, also numerous championships with the UConn Lady Huskies, but a great player. And also, Renee, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. That's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Shelly Canavy. If you missed any of the day's program, it's online at wabe.org slash Closer Look. And of course, you can listen to Closer Look weeknights at 8 p.m. And listen whenever you want, because Closer Look is now available as a podcast. Just visit NPR One or your favorite streaming app and subscribe. This is 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.